Blog Talk Radio. that you don't generally hear uh, on the mainstream media. We've tackled all sorts of um, topics, everything from um, domestic violence issues to uh, uh, Domestic Violence Awareness Month, or yeah, and, and we've just done all sorts of things. So um, today we're going to talk about something that's kind of been in the news um, the whole thing about Stephen Collins, which I have to confess, I have never watched, um, but I have seen the actor Stephen Collins in other uh, shows and in other uh, movies, etc. And of course, we know that uh, from the news this week, he's been accused and apparently uh, confessed to uh, being a child molester. So I have with me Daphne and Storm. Daphne, would you introduce yourself for us? I, I think that you can do a better job of it than I can. <laughs> yes, I'd love to. Thank you. Uh, I'm Vice President of Communications and Prevention Education at Child Health, and we're America's longest-running and largest national nonprofit that meets the physical, emotional, educational, and spiritual needs of abused and neglected children. And so advocacy, prevention, treatment, and community outreach are what we're all about. And um, so I'm very pleased to be here, and you're so right. Uh, these topics don't get discussed enough until you have that hot-button issue in the news. But it creates a great springboard to meet people like Storm uh, who are going to be able to shed some light on what it's like for the other side, uh, the survivor in the story. Yeah. Welcome, Storm. Hello. <laughs> uh, we're lucky to have you both and um, can't wait to get into the topic. But before we do, I want to throw out our phone number. And I see that we also already have a, a caller on board. Uh, the phone number for you to join us in this conversation, 646-378-0430. That's 646-378-0430. Zero four three zero, and what uh, what we'd like you to do is to call us uh, if you have comments, if you have questions, uh, or if you have uh, personal experience that you would like to share. Before we take off, I want to read to you what greeted me when I opened up my computer this morning. Stephen Collins home free in child molestation investigations. Stephen Collins, a self-proclaimed, and of course this is the actor we've been talking about, a self-proclaimed child molester will not be prosecuted for either molesting or exposing himself to three victims, law enforcement tell TMZ. Um, they posted, the, this, this online publication posted uh, an audio of him confessing to this molestation uh, to his wife and to three girls ages 11 through 13, and the L.A. County Sheriff's Department opened investigations. LAPD is also looking into the case that they closed two years ago. But law enforcement sources in all three departments tell TMZ the cases will go no nowhere. All three cases are decades old, and our sources say prosecution would be barred by the statute of limitations. So does this surprise you, either of you? Um, it's not surprising, but it's so disheartening and frustrating. Uh, you know, we have a great advocate named Kathy Picard in Massachusetts who just finished extending the statute of limitations there for survivors. And it's for this very reason. Um, and I think Storm, who's um, both a writer and a poet and an advocate for young people who have gone through this, um, can speak to the fact that sometimes it takes years to be able to find your voice and to be able to express your voice. In her case, uh, 15 years before coming to child help and being able to find that right counselor and the, the right group of advocates um, at our Child Help Children's Center, which has a prosecution team, a medical team, social service agencies, all in one place to advocate for someone who maybe has gone through the system and tried to tell their story time and time again and not been able to. But when we hear that the system is not going to stand up 
for victims years, years later, which is usually when somebody comes into their own and can finally express themselves and find advocacy, it's completely disheartening. And so that statute of limitations needs to be expanded. And um, maybe Storm can speak a little bit to just the emotional impact that hearing that, you know, oh, nothing's going to be done to this guy, uh, well, how she may feel about that. Yeah, Storm, yeah, and, um, um, I'm, your comments on that? Unfortunately, it's not surprising to me either. Um, my heart does really go out to these girls. It's sad. It, it frustrates me on a personal level. I understand that there is a statute of limitations, but of course the impact that this has had in, this, in these girls' lives will never go away. And it's disheartening to hear that the police are saying, well, you know, it's too old, we can't do anything. And I just hope that these girls will be able to find their voice. And even if they can't prosecute him for what he's done, I hope that they definitely bring to light the situation. Yeah, but look at what happens with these these people of power. And I have to believe that although it probably happens more, um, uh, I don't know, more... um, um, I can't even think of the adjective that I want. But with these movie stars, um, the public has a tendency to excuse all of this. You know, I mean, this guy played a minister on TV, and he has nice eyes, and he's always played nice parts. And gosh, you know, um, yeah, he confessed, but we don't know what his wife said to make him do that. And obviously she had some sort of motivation since she recorded it. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, I keep in mind he's also... He's also a minister at, uh, he, he for a long time was a minister at an Episcopal uh, All Saints Church in Beverly Hills. So uh, there was a tabloid line that said, a wolf in sheep's clothing. And this is exactly what you find with, um, you know, powerful individuals and and uh, e- even a, 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 you know, pillar of the community type person like a teacher or a coach, uh, educators who offend. It's very difficult for a young person to be able to come forward and point to a parent, a political figure, a celebrity, uh, a well-known educator or somebody with power in the community and say this person is exposing themselves, this person is touching me, or uh, in the furthest case, this individual is raping me. And so we find that children are often paralyzed by the abuse itself and then silenced by the culture of apathy that surrounds a young person who's trying to come forward. Yeah, and um, I'm thinking of um, Woody Allen, too. I mean, they, people Absolutely. gave him a, 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 a they, they just gave him a pass, you know, and right. uh, as in many of these kinds of crimes, what people ended up doing is blaming the victim. Storm, Absolutely. I don't, wanna, I don't want you to talk about anything that you're not comfortable talking about, but could you just give us a brief um, um, idea of what ha- what it is that happened to you? your approximate age, and uh, maybe if you could tell us who the offender was, if it was, uh, you know, that kind of thing. Whatever you feel comfortable sharing with us so we get an idea of what how how typical your situation is of so many people's situations. Well, I, um, I was physically and verbally abused for almost 15 years uh, by my father. Uh, he started to molest and rape me um, at around when I went through puberty, 10 years old, and it continued until just a couple months shy of me being 15. And my offender wasn't exactly a a superstar. He wasn't someone who had, you know, Steve Collins' um, class. Yeah, thank you. He he wasn't held up high in society, but people still look at it and they're going, well, you know, he's her father. There's no way that this could happen. He's such a nice guy. He's done this. He's done this. Yeah. And the fact of the matter is that a lot of abusers are nice people. And me and Daphne were just um, talking about this last night. Abusers are nice people because they don't want people to think that there's any way that they could be abused. Exactly. I hear that so many times in domestic violence situations and molestation. uh, You know, oh, but he's a nice guy. Well, you know what? They are nice guys unless you happen to be the one they're abusing. Um, Well, and all the people have come out, uh, and this is what's so frustrating for the survivor. A lot of individuals have come out and said, you know, Stephen was wonderful on the set. He really played the dad and the nurturer on the set. And, uh, oh, we remember when Jessica Biel's magazine cover came out and he decried it as child pornography. I mean, often these individuals... um, 
you know, work in industries where they're pro-child, uh, often so they can be around children to offend with. And I think what's so powerful about um, Storm's uh, story is is you have this incredibly life-altering background, but uh, her perpetrator, because uh, we don't identify folks that do this to their kids as parents anymore, but that individual has uh, been found guilty. And after 15 years of trying to be able to tell her story, um, you know, she came to Child Help, she went through our program, she expressed herself strongly, and the prosecution team and all the advocates got together. And finally, not only will he not be able to harm her, but, um, you know, we were talking about this a little bit last night about all the other young people that this individual will not be able to uh, harm in any way, uh, terrorize, because if if an individual does this once, we know that they do it many more times. And if Stephen Collins admits to three incidents, that means we can't even imagine how many other possibilities there are. I always say to people, you know, I mean, think about speeding ticket. Do you get a speeding ticket every time you go over the speed limit? No, you don't. It's a great analogy. Great analogy. You get you get stopped once in a while, you know, especially mm-hmm. if it's really egregious. But for the most part, you know, we we folks with lead feet get away with it just fine. And then when we get right. stopped, we go, oh, that was the only time I've ever, you know, went over the speed limit here. Da 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 da. When in fact, you know, you know better. Um, so I think it's the same way with um, offenders. You know, Correct. okay, if he confesses to three, like you said, you know, I mean, <laughs> that's that's what he's confessing to. That's what that's what he got the tickets for. How many times did he mash that gas pedal to the floor um, where nobody right. happened to catch him? Um, and, well, and there's not also only the minimization. Only... Yeah, go Storm, ahead, Storm. Go ahead. And not only did he only admit to molesting three girls. He probably tailored his story quite a bit. Uh, he's not going to oh. sit there the first time he's ever talking about this and admit to every single thing he's done and admit to the extent that it's been done, too. So I, I, I know that they've said that he's um, exposed himself. And mm-hmm. I don't like to compare it, but unfortunately in this world we compare things. Exposure is very, very different to molestation, and molestation is very, very different to rape. And so if he's admitting to exposing himself, there is a very high likelihood that there is a lot more going on that he will never admit to. And to top it off, because of the fact that this is the first time he told his story and he had, I I think it was 18 years to tailor his story, even if he were to tell someone else, he would tailor it even more because we don't tell the same story every single time we tell it. No, and, we and always so there's try a very high likelihood. Yeah. Sorry. We always try to put there's ourselves very... in the best light, too. You know, like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, there's um, a very, you know, very ladies... high likelihood that there's so, so many more girls. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. We have a caller. Let's go to our caller. Um, caller, are you there? Hello, caller. She's been on hold for so long. She might have just oh. set the phone down. Are you there? Oh. Caller? Okay. Um, she's been on hold for a long time, so maybe she just set the phone down. Um, please, you know, uh, go ahead and give us a call back. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, let me give that number again. It's 646 378 Six four six three seven eight zero four three zero. Please join our conversation on this very important topic. Um, well, let's let's jump back a little bit um, to the basics. And I think uh, uh, Storm, you kind of um, uh, kind of hinted at this in your explanation. What exactly is molestation? Is it rape? Is it exposure? Is it all of the above? I mean, what what is it? I've always defined molestation as a um, more of just like a, a touching, maybe a, a digitizing. Um, I think in Arizona it's not penetration until you've gone through um, the vulva. So anything above that, like um, I don't want to get too graphic, but um, maybe so rubbing fondly. your thigh or something like that. 
Exactly. Yeah. And I think with sexual abuse, um, uh, when we begin to define the individual elements of it, uh, sometimes the, the bigger picture is lost. We, we try to look at it as any misuse of a child for sexual pleasure or gratification is sexual abuse, and that is the involvement of children in sexual activities they do not fully comprehend, uh, anything that violates our societal taboos and laws. And um, it, it, it's pretty much 8% of all child abuse cases are the result of sexual abuse. And um, this, this involves a rather extensive grooming process. So what Storm says is, is very intuitive, right? It's the, it's the touching of the thigh and the gentle treatment. Then it's two or three episodes of fun and good times with no stressful situations. And the predator really you know, makes this an extended fantasy where they continue to conceive of different ways to break through the child's fears, um, looking for children, obviously, that are in crisis situations or don't have a strong support network, often children who have disabilities and difficulty sharing their stories. Um, you know, Storm is sort of the anomaly of a survivor because she has such a strong passion for words and, and an ability to express herself poetically and writing uh, verbally. Uh, so a very eloquent survivor is a very powerful person because that predator can't silence such an individual. But I think about introverted children, shy children, children who have such trouble speaking. And, and Storm runs a poetry group for young people at her school to give just those kinds of kids the chance to find a mode of expression. Uh, and that's why at Child Help we use so much art therapy, animal therapy. We, we need to break through to the child that, that hasn't found their voice yet. Uh, and these are the type of individuals that predators prey upon. Uh, and so we have to educate ourselves about the signs and symptoms of abuse, find out what it looks like, uh, and then determine how to report it and how to keep the children in our community safe. You know, many, many exactly. years ago I worked with, um, I did pre-sentence reports for um, a, a county probation department. And I remember um, talking to one person. I, now, I did misdemeanors, so it was, you know, but when you were interviewing the, the people who had been found guilty and um, interviewing them and try to get background information so that you could write a report for the judge recommending what you think an appropriate sentence would be, um, you also heard and you also saw a record, so you knew if this person, you know, had offended in other ways, at least, and right. been caught at it. And so mm -hmm. I was interviewing this misdemeanant, and he mentioned that he, or, uh, or I saw it, the records can't remember, um, but he had molested um, one of his stepchildren. And mm -hmm. I asked him um, why he had done that, and he said, well, she came on to me. She was three years old. Wow. Right, right. What? Wow. You, you know, I mean, what kind of... I. I you know, the temptation when you hear stories like this, I know better, but the temptation is, right. this guy's nuts. I mean, how could any right. uh, sane person really feel that a, a three-year-old is coming on to him? But think but about the terms we use every day. Um, the, he sounds crazy, but have you ever heard the term child prostitute? Uh, when we talk about sex trafficking, we hear the words child prostitute. There's no such thing as a child prostitute. That is a child sexual abuse victim being exploited through sex trafficking. Um, yes. You know, uh, Storm was talking the other day about people casually making jokes about the word rape or, uh, you know, using disparaging language to describe women uh, and how she fights that regularly. Um, because when we make language casual, when we say a child was being provocative or, uh, you know, that, that there was an act of sex between an adult and a child, no, that's rape. A and when we don't uh, watch our language, uh, we kind of minimize what's going on. Um, and I think that this is part of why I, I, f I feel so passionate about having peer-to-peer uh, -peer mentoring with young people uh, like what Storm is doing because once you find your voice and you can help others find theirs, the language becomes so important to be able to say this is exactly what happened, this is legally what happened, 
and I'm not going to allow a predator to reframe and reshape what occurred in a sort of Stephen Collins style of minimizing and finding victimization within himself. Oh, my difficult times, or, you know, people blame substance. And, and there's so many ways that people actually can frame themselves as the victim, the victim of this provocative three-year-old, you know, it, that it's painful to hear. But imagine a victim trying to speak under those auspices. And so um, I would love, because I haven't heard this as much, we touched on it a little last night in our private conversation, but Storm, if you could, um, for, for victims that are, are listening who need to become those survivors, if you could take them through um, maybe what happens when you, when you come to a place like child help after 15 years, how that process starts, like how you start to find your voice. Because one of the most powerful things you told me was I, I sound like I really have my stuff together, but I'm kind of almost like two years old in my recovery and my, and my coming into my own. And it, could you explain a little bit about that so that other people out there will say, ah, that's me. <laughs> yeah, please help. do, Storm. Sure. Um, like Daphne said, we were talking about it last night, and I briefly went into how um, – I don't, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? I don't try and justify my actions because sometimes I can be immature. I just, I try and tell people, you know, I'm just a baby. I've only had this life for two years. And it was very frightening coming to child help after, I think it was 15 and a half years. Um, I, you know, I didn't really want to talk to therapists. I didn't want to talk about what happened. There was a lot that I wasn't even sure was considered sexual abuse. And I, I think that I've always had a voice. I've always had that drive in me. But, um, you know, if I hadn't met my therapist, if I hadn't met Sam, I don't think I would have ever been able to facilitate the growth of my voice and to be able to reach out to so many people the way that I have. And really the process just begins with meeting someone who wants to listen and not having to feel like you're forced to talk about, you know, I was raped, I was molested on the first day. I think I was telling Daphne last night, I think it took me several weeks to start going into this with Sam. I would come into the office and complain about the last week I had. And my my most powerful advice, I believe, that I could give to a person if you, if there's something you feel like you shouldn't talk about it, it absolutely needs to be talked about. It it is never okay to feel like you have to be quiet, and it is never okay to feel like you have to keep something silent. Right. And to springboard from that, I mean, if um, you know, our child help children's advocacy centers are very special places, but if you don't know what to do throughout the country. Uh, we're a national organization, and we do have a Child Help National Child Abuse Hotline. And um, for listeners of your show, if they want to jot this down, uh, it's 1-800-FOR-A-CHILD, and there are professional crisis counselors who are degreed, who are staffing 24 hours a day, seven days a week, throughout the U.S. and its territories. And no matter what language someone speaks, I mean, we can get a translator very quickly in about 140 languages, so there's no child that has to be left out of being able to find someone to connect with. And we have the resources to find um, help in, in whatever town you're calling from. And so for people that listen to podcasts and have that national reach, we can help anyone, anywhere. Uh, find a resource like Sam, uh, like um, you know, Storm was able to find with Sam at the Child Help Children's Center. There will be someone we can help you connect with in your town uh, to begin telling your story. Or if a survivor, you know, has spent all these years bottling it up inside, like some of these victims we've described with Stephen Collins' uh, alleged offenses, you know, you may be able to finally have that first person to talk to uh, that you say, hey. I, I heard the show, this happened to me, I've been, you know, abusing substances or self-medicating or uh, experiencing extreme anxiety for years, and we can help find you some resources in your hometown that will help you begin the healing process because it's never too late. And, you know, it took Storm 15 years. It took a Kathy, one of our advocates, uh, al almost 40 years, but uh, it's never too late. And I, I spoke with a woman who was 93 uh, during an event that we had who finally came out and she just received so much love and so much support um, that 
we finally are able to speak about it. I mean, our founders, Sarah and Yvonne uh, Federson, uh, Sarah O'Meara and Yvonne Federson are Nobel Peace Prize nominees, but they still work at Child Health every single day. I get calls from them. I have meetings with them just yesterday, and um, they are passionate about keeping the standard of care to its highest level. And one of their biggest challenges when they were first starting out 55 years ago was to speak the word sexual abuse. And, well, you can't say that, and don't come on our TV show, and we can't have you on our radio program. And they refused not to say it and to imagine, you know, in 1959 uh, trying to bring this out where, you know, society was saying not in our town, not in our neighborhood, not in our... Uh, so they really fought, and it's the reason that we are all sitting here today and able to say the words sexual abuse on the radio and have people say, this is happening in my town. So it's yeah. a very powerful thing, a voice. Yeah, I think that whenever anybody goes through any kind of trauma, um, being able to talk it over with people who understand is yeah. is just crucial. Um because so many mm-hmm. times in situations like this, um, domestic violence, child molestation, uh, people don't get it, and they don't want to hear about it because it's so awful. And so they tend to minimize or victim yep. blame. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, uh, people, I think, who've been through trauma learn to keep their mouths shut. They, Absolutely. They just, you know, learn that. And to have a safe place, where you can call, contact, find people who actually will understand and not judge you. Um, it, it's just, uh, I, 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 it's a godsend. And I actually uh, was not familiar with your organization, Daphne, and I did a little research. It's been around since, what, 1959? 1959, and um, throughout the country we have... Everything you can imagine. One of our founders said, uh, Sarah said, you've got to throw everything but the kitchen sink at this problem. So we have, um, you know, advocacy centers, uh, foster care, uh, adoption. We have uh, the advocacy centers throughout the, uh, the, the residential treatment villages, the um, hotline. And then one of the things that we have that we're trying to really stop abuse from happening in the first place is our prevention education program called Child Help Speak Up Be Safe and it's available in schools throughout the country but man we would love to blanket the nation every single school having this program every single sports complex having our athletic derivation of the program so that kids are safe you know in the classroom and the playing field and with our hotline on their in the palm of their hand with their cell phone um giving kids, uh, making the language familiar so they know how to talk about what's happening, educating teachers and coaches and parents and communities. You know, when we have to struggle to get prevention education into an area, I get so frustrated because sometimes these are legislators that believe in, let's say, the Second Amendment. And I said, hey, great, if you believe in in defending yourself, why are you taking the, the tools of defense out of the holsters of our kids? Prevention education allows them to defend themselves against predators. It lets them know what's happening to them, where the bathing suit covers. is not okay. The, the culture of secrecy is not right, and it gives them ways to, as the program says, speak up and be safe. And so um, part of what we do is educate. And if you're interested, I have a couple of um, uh, indicators of uh, child sexual abuse from that program that I think sure. uh, will be good for the listeners as they're looking at children in their neighborhood as they're interacting with um, play dates with friends. These are little things to watch out for that maybe okay. a child who doesn't have Storm's strong voice may be showing signs and symptoms. Um, some of those include um, physically uh, difficulty walking or sitting, uh, some torn, stained, or uh, bloody undergarments, pain, swelling, or itching in the genital area, uh, discharge, Obviously, any child that contracts um, sexual diseases, um, excessive masturbation, or uh, what appears to be provocative behavior, but is often learned behavior, and children that have information that's way beyond their age level. Um, And then you have the behavior indicators, which can be um, an unwillingness to participate in physical activities like gym, um, sexual acting out on younger children, peer relationship difficulty, delinquency, um, drastic change in school performance, the eating disorders, uh, nightmares, aggression, 
Uh, sometimes you see withdrawal and infantile behavior. So sometimes a very cute little child that's um, a little too old to be very coquettish and sweet and, and kind of playing the role of daddy's little girl can be a very distressing you know, a lot of people, oh, how adorable, but that can also be an infantilizing that a pedophile promotes to keep his little girl a little girl. Um, and substance abuse, repetitive behaviors, hand-washing, pacing and rocking, all these self-soothing behaviors that happen when your body is violated. And I'll tell you that the most severe cases of abuse that end up at the child help uh, residential treatment villages where these children are unable to be adopted and have to go through extensive therapy Um, We have equipment that most people have never even heard of, like weighted lap belts, where children that have been so violated have to put this heavy, uh, kind of filled with weights, belt across their lap sometimes just to be able to sit in a classroom seat at our non-public school and go through a lesson because they need to feel nurtured and, and covered and and their level of fear and discomfort of being traversed physically is so strong that they have to have the specialized piece of equipment. And so the cost and the care of children who have been through so much pain is over $100 billion a year. And imagine what we could do if we just put that into prevention education and kept them safe and happy in the first place. Absolutely, absolutely. I want to um, share a, a personal story with you folks. Um, I moved to a new community. I was married to a physician. We were at a, a social event, and one of the physicians had just been sentenced to jail for um, um, sexual assault of his daughter. His, I think it was her, his 16-year-old daughter. Um, right. And he was found guilty in not just one county, but in two counties, because his office was in one county and his home was in the other. And mm-hmm. I had enough experience to know that these guys are fairly, rare, rather rarely found guilty anyway. So right. to be found guilty in two separate counties, that evidence had to be pretty overwhelming. Right. And yet at yeah. that party... People were going, oh, I don't know about that. I don't know. You know, he's such a nice guy, you know, blah, blah, blah. And finally, this one person, I will never forget this, said, well, you know, I saw him with that girl, and that girl just never did like him. Mm-hmm. And the implication was that she just made it up because she didn't like him. And I thought, do you hear what you're oh, saying? Oh, no. Why would she <laughs> like him? <laughs> you know? Right. I, I mean... Why would she like someone who's hurting her? And yet, in you know, the, the you know, in, in, in this this person's interpretation was that well, somehow or other, she was just trying to do this to to be nasty to him because she didn't like him. Right. And I oh, have that, never that's, forgotten that's, that. That's classic. That's classic. And I, you know, Storm, as somebody who has tried to tell a story and and definitely gone through what it feels like not to be believed. And keep in mind. This is this is the case with Storm's uh, offender as well. This person has been by a judge, and this person has been found guilty. But um, I don't know. Can you share some of the the types of comments you would get from people who minimized or didn't believe you? Um, growing up, I was most often told, you know, it was okay to hit me because I was a bad kid. I was uh, mm-hmm. very aggressive in school. I got in fights all the time. I was on medication, I slept in school, I argued with the teachers, um, and actually, going back to um, what Heather said about um, them saying that that girl just didn't like her dad, um, actually, through my trial process, my dad's lawyer tried to play it off that I was imaginative and I was impulsive because I did run away, I, I didn't call the police, I ran away, and then went to the police, but um Throughout the throughout the trial process, they, they tried to say, well, you know, she likes to read fantasies. She likes to write fantasies. She likes to write stories about werewolves and fairies. And I, I don't remember if I said it during the trial process or not, but I know that I said it at some point. Everything I say is very metaphoric. Um, I don't, not often, I don't sit down and write, you know, this is exactly what happened to me. When I write stories about my father, he he is most characterized 
as the big bad wolf. And there was actually one story I wrote where um, the main character was a princess, and she was being forced to be married to someone that she wasn't in love with, and that would mean that person conquering her body and taking her body. And she ran off, and she met this wolf, and she cried and she cried, and the wolf said, I will take your heart. And what that was supposed to symbolize was, I'll take your ability to feel so that you don't have to go through it spiritually. And I understand that that's not something people might automatically get from a story, but I just I got a lot of nasty comments. I was imaginative, impulsive. I, I loved fairy tales. I loved dragons. I hated my dad because he was a rapist. I hated my dad because he hit me. No, I didn't get along with him, and yes, I always fought with him. Yeah. So there you um, have it. That's exactly everybody in the room. Well, that well that girl didn't seem she didn't really connect with her dad. So maybe she's doing this to get back at him. Uh, uh-huh. You know, most people do what Storm did and does. Uh, they they transfer trauma and dissociation and all the things you have to do to stay alive into often a metaphoric image or and and did you do when you were um, going through some of the child help therapeutic process did you do um, a lot of art therapy we have um, as a method not necessarily art in the um, idea that you know we were painting or drawing but we did make um, charts and stuff that uh, we did one chart me and Sam that kind of showed a timeline of the sexual abuse in my family because it has gone back two or three generations. And I have written poetry for Sam. Um, I'm actually in the process of writing a letter to the girl that ran away from her father at almost 15. Um, We made this huge ball of doubts (laughs) that we still have to go through. And And you know what's phenomenal? I love the concept of creating a timeline because one of the things that um, I think that we lose track of is often abuse is cyclical and systemic, and 30% of individuals who have been impacted upon can uh, abuse others. And one of the great things about getting involved in a program and for people that are out there that think they can solve it themselves, it's one of the most dangerous ideas because you really, truly um, don't give yourself that head start, that great chance at a life. And Storm has a daughter. And so I think in in healing herself as strongly as she is, um, she is also totally going to break that cycle that is generational. She's just like, the buck stops here. I know what it feels like. No one in my sphere is going to feel this way. And it begins with putting your abuser away, but it also um, then goes into healing yourself to be strong enough for that next little person who um, is going to be, I believe, Storm's daughter is going to be the most educated and and prepared (laughs) and dynamic young woman because her mom knows um, nobody's going to keep her down for 15 years. Well, and knowledge is power. It's trite, but knowledge is power. And if you talk about these things, you know, in in an age-appropriate manner with your children, um, it prepares them. So if they do encounter a dangerous situation or a dangerous person, it's not like, oh, my gosh, I'm so befuddled, what do I do? It's like, oh, okay, yeah, I've heard about this, you know, and I have, you know, I can do this or I can do that or I can walk away or I, you know, you're giving a child tools by educating them about this phenomenon. Um, and and I, that's I'm why I become so angry about people that um, get in the way of some basic prevention education because uh, you wouldn't believe how hard we have to fight sometimes. And we have so many great partners and people that are willing to put Child Help Speak Up Be Safe in the school and there's no problem. But there are people that actually stand up and say, well, this is the parent's job. Well, ask Storm how great a parent is going to um, educate their child on abuse. Ask the daughter of that physician, that community leader, that um, you know pillar of the community, how well he was going to help his daughter. Uh, it, you know, the predators thrive on shadows, silence, um, apathy, the dark light. So I, I just I urge people. Um, 
to, you know, if you go on our website, www.childhelp.org, we have a place where you can write to your congressmen and senators and, um, you know, writing to them and saying, hey, I want prevention education in my child's school. I want to know that they're going to be able to speak up and be safe. And uh, I want my child to live in a predator unfriendly community. Because that's what you create when, when you when you say that you know oh there's this reason and there's that reason why I don't want my ch- I don't want my child you know freaked out by this idea. Well, they're going to be freaked out in the back of a van. You know I don't want my child to be terrorized by these stories. Well, the first time someone touches them, they're not going to know to be terrorized maybe until it's too late. Until they've you know we lose five children each day. Five children a day die. So that's what that's what the stakes are. Okay, and, um, Storm, you want going to off in. what you said, Daphne, about um, mm-hmm. people getting in the way of education, just just right. to share a, a small personal story. Um, I, I do live with a foster family. I live with um, my my daughter's grandmother, and my daughter's two years old now. So she has recently discovered she has a vagina, mm-hmm. and it, I I call it a vagina. Because that's yeah. what it is. It's not a cookie. It's not a kitty. It's it's nothing else. It is a vagina. And mm-hmm. I actually got into an argument with my daughter's grandmother because she thought that it was inappropriate to call it that. And <laughs> we argued for about a, a good half hour, and I just told her, you know, if she's ever abused, if she's ever touched, if one of her friends are ever abused or touched, and they go to someone, they're going to say, my dad took my kitty. My my mom ate my cookie, uh-huh. right. and they're not going to understand. And it is so important just to share the basic names of what it is. It is a vagina, yes. It is a penis, yes. It is nothing else. Yeah. And I do an believe arm that is an education. Arm. Nobody has a problem calling an arm an arm. Um, right. Yeah. I, I, yeah. And I, I do believe I, that education and prevention is absolutely necessary because just to go off of that as well, if I had known that it wasn't okay to be hit the way that I was, if CPS was allowed to tell me, you know, it will be okay, this would have all ended years sooner. When you were talking to, about going to, into the schools, Daphne, um, yeah. one of the, you know, when I was researching a little bit for today's conversation, and I came across that uh, U.S. Department of Education uh, factoid that, 10% of students have sexual contact with school employees mm-hmm. before they graduate. Right. And 10%. coaches are second only to teachers and educators um, uh, abusing children. So cases like Sandusky and these things that you see in the news are um, not too strange. And I've, I've been an administrator. I've been an educator. Um, We've had to let people go from schools that I've been associated with in the past uh, for these very things. And what we know about predators is they're often very bright. They're often very um, socially agile. They're often able to um, abuse hundreds of children before they're caught. And, you know, very, very. Uh, the, the thought is it's one in four girls and one in six boys. They've at least validated through David Finkelhor's Crimes Against Children Research Center that one in five girls and one in 20 boys is known to be a victim, and that's not just a projection. And uh, then self-report studies show that 20% of adult females and about 10% of adult males recall a childhood sexual assault or sexual abuse incident. Um, So, you know, you have these uh, children are most vulnerable between the age of 7 and 13, and those are ages where all the kinds of things that Storm talks about, fantasy reading and, um, you know, the difference between play and reality and all the the places where a predator can snake in and be able to create doubt, uh, those are prime ages where those that that kind of argument can be made, and that's why predators are choose so carefully and are so watchful and are grooming children. And the sad thing is that um, you know our prevention education program is so gentle that you know a parent like Storm, she's going to arm her child in the strongest way by giving them, uh, you know, giving her child the right terms and and the the knowledge. But even um, if a parent's very nervous about that kind of language, I mean, our program essentially says you shouldn't be touched by 
anybody in the area where your bathing suit covers except for, and we talk about doctors and taking a bath. And, and so we give children all the scenarios they understand in their life that are safe and all the scenarios that are in their life that are um, not safe. And one of the things that we, and we mirror that at our advocacy center. So when a child comes into a child health children's center and they're met with a therapy dog and they go through their medical exam, uh, there's uh, another person in the room and the doctor explains, you know, I'm going to give you this examination because I'm a doctor and I'm a safe person. And we have, you know, and and they introduce the other nurse and and then they say, and this is our friend Paisley, our therapy dog, and we're going to look at Paisley's paw. Can I now look at your hand? We're going to look at Paisley's teeth. Can I look at your teeth? And so uh, in 23 years, our primary uh, forensic doctor has only had two children cry in an interview and uh, been able to put together some dynamite prosecution cases because after the medical exam, the child then goes into a therapy room where there's a pin camera and that child can tell the story of what happened to them only once and all our detectives and prosecutors then get that CD, and that's used in the trial. And so it's a very tightly monitored process that advocates for the child's perspective, and that's why we're able to put so many of those predators away because we don't have uh, to take a child way over to the hospital, then let's go over here to the police station and make the child feel like the system is offending them. You know, this is a friendly, bright place where people can feel confident. And like Storm says, there's not pressure, you know, what happened? What next? Child uh, or Or young adult can... Yeah, yeah, they can start to reveal themselves slowly over time. Because Storm and I were talking yesterday, and we sort of had a little mini revelation. I said, you know, bad counseling um, pressures a child into telling a story, not unlike a predator pressures a young person to become... Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. it's pressuring for intimacy too quickly. And so the reason that we use art therapy, animal therapy, is because uh, if a person doesn't want to say what happened, let them draw, let them write a poem, let them tell a story in a different way, and then begin to garner the words to say it in a very straightforward and honest way. But honesty comes Mm -hmm. in many forms, and that's why you have to have multiple modes of therapy. you know, and our founders were kind of uh, laughed at when they initially came up with some of these methodologies, and now it's standards of practices. You know, now sure. it's what we know to work. So it's a great question. Uh, I'm I sorry? Was say, Storm, I really appreciate your being on the show and talking about your experience because I think that when a lot of people think of uh, child molestation, it's the whole stranger danger thing. And we were talking about that last night, too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and in fact, it's not the big old black boogeyman that's, you know, hovering around a corner um, that is likely to um, sexually abuse your child. Um, can, do you have some numbers on that or some statistics? Here, here are the stats. Ninety percent of child sexual abuse victims know the perpetrator. Sixty-eight percent are abused by family members. So when when we talk about hey um, you know prevention education is a family matter, well there you have it. Those are the sexual abuse numbers, and so uh, the ninety percent fits in the Stephen Collins story that we've been using as our uh, kind of basis for this uh, discussion. Uh, babysitter, the um, the coach, the teacher, uh, and and you know usually a lot closer to home. Sixty eight percent. That that's a staggering number, and that means that a lot of people are not only um, young children are being harmed in, in a way that gives them a lifetime of work, but by the very individuals that are supposed to protect, nurture, and care for them. So, in addition to the physical recovery, there's there's a whole. I think what you said, Storm, about the spiritual, like let's give the wolf the heart to protect so that the spiritual aspect doesn't have to battle. And that's the the spiritual term is left out of recovery. And um, what we try to do is we have a lot of children who've been um, abused by using their belief system. You know, we have to beat the devil out of you or God knows you're a bad little girl and won't help you. And, man, is it powerful to allow a child to come back to their spirit and belief without it being tainted 
by someone to be able to find a power within that is strong uh, without the damage that's been done to that image. And that is a journey that's completely separate almost to all the other healing that takes place. And and it's not just spiritual beliefs, too. It's um, because it hasn't been mentioned yet. You and I, Daphne, you and I were talking last night. It's hard for men to come forward because there is that societal culture that, you know, men have to be touched, or, or, sorry, tough. It's not okay to be touched. It's not okay to be gay. It's not okay to show weakness. And both men and women abuse, and both men and women get abused and Mm -hmm. there's just so much in society that perpetuates the idea that you know rape is it's okay when it's bad and when it's bloody and when it's bruised it's not okay but when it's something you can brush off it's fine you know showing your showing your shoulders in school is not okay Mm -hmm. there's this huge perpetuation of rape culture there's this huge perpetuation of gender stereotypes and it only well, adds the, to the idea of, you know, I can't share. No one will believe me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and we sexualize children. You know, yeah. a, a friend and I were talking about this the other day, Halloween costumes. When I was a child, mm-hmm. and trust me, I'm I'm older than Methuselah, when I was a child, <laughs> you dressed up as a ghost or you dressed up as a right. um, a hobo or you dressed, you know, those were the kind of costumes that people had. Now it's either some sort of horrible, you know, awful monster or mm-hmm. it's sexy. You know, right. I mean, I, exactly. I saw a costume the other day for, a, a, you know, what do they call that, the the maid, you know, the whole, I guess mm-hmm. there's yeah. a whole fantasy French about maid. A, a French maid, mm-hmm. yes. And it was a size three. Right. Really? Really? We're going to take the three-year-old and turn her into the French maid? The the French maid, the sexy kitty, all of this kind of thing. Uh, The the term Lolita being used as the provocative little girl, when in fact, if anybody actually bothered to read the Nabokov story, it's a story of a sick, perverted individual, and, and the writer himself was shocked at the interpretation uh, he said, I made it very clear that this was a completely normal girl, that this um, sick individual was fetishizing in this way. And so, um, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, society perpetuates it. And, and Storm's point about young men being at such risk, um, I, I got to see the rough cut of a documentary that's being um, uh, shot to Sundance, and it, it's phenomenal. It's called Swift Current, and it's about uh, Canadian hockey star Sheldon Kennedy. And uh, one of... Mm-hmm. Um, an advocacy that center that's based on our child help center in Canada is named after him. And Sheldon Kennedy uh, was abused by his coach and, and molested and raped by his coach for years. And, and that's somebody that, you know, oh, trust your coach. He's making you a star. And he yes. felt so conflicted and the amount of addiction and relationship problems and, and what he went through because of this person in power and trust traversing his body and his spirit and his mind um, is an overwhelming uh, story. And and I think that it's so hard to have, um, in the same way that Storm is speaking, it's so hard to find men who come forward and say, I'm the tough jock, I'm the big sports star, and this happened to me, and this is why my life took this turn. And... um, Mm -hmm. And what it does is it brings people forward. And I, I hope with your show today, I hope that people call 1-800-FOR-A-CHILD today and they say, hey, I never told anybody I need to talk about it today or there's a child down the street and she, something's not right and i got to make a call today. Something like that where you, where you take something that was in your gut that you weren't 100% about and you decided today's the day I'm going to make a change in the life of a child if I mess up and I'm wrong and, and this, the, the child's okay, then you know what? Some parent just had a bad day and everything goes back to normal. And if I'm right, um, one in five children are dying each day. Uh, five children die a day, and that could have been that one in five. In other words, you can step in and stop it because I can't tell you how many times I get sickened by news reports where all the neighbors, oh, we always thought there was something wrong with that family. You know, I saw that kid with no shoes on in the winter, and I just think, and you didn't call. You watched that little soul walk by your house 
or like the people in you know that you were talking about at the, with this physician. You know, I always thought there was something weird between the relationship between that father and daughter. Well, instead of thinking she's just a bad girl, what about the fact that there is something weird and there is something wrong, and she is hostile to a person who you know tiptoes into her bedroom at night and violates her. So we have to start picking up on the cues and stop asking the children all the time to finally come forward when they've done all this hard work. Let's come forward and do a little hard work ourselves. Well, and you bring up an interesting point, I think, um, uh, Daphne. We have um, bystanders in all sorts Mm -hmm. of traumas. We have bystanders who may or may not know what to do or what is the right thing to do. Um, right. I, I will try to do this very quickly, but um, my, when my daughter was young and on the school bus, sat next to a boy, drew a picture, and she brought the picture. He gave it to her. And the picture was of a pair of men's legs. This is from the waist down that covered the entire notebook paper, just the legs with a penis dangling down, and in between the legs was a little tiny person. I was Ooh. really disturbed wow. by that. I was very disturbed by that. And I went to the school psychologist, and I said, I don't know, you know, uh, you, you know, this is not my business to, you know, figure out what's going on with this child, but I will show you this, and I will tell you that I am concerned. Right. You know, having had a little bit of experience um, in, in this field, I'm very concerned. I didn't right. know what else to do. I don't know whether she took it as seriously as I did. Is that an appropriate approach? Absolutely. I mean, speaking of... And um, and sometimes the follow-through is helpful. I mean, uh, when you look at the thing, you don't know what to do with an image, but your gut tells you this is just off. And, and the picture you describe, it's, it's, there's something that is probably beyond that child's age that is, has been witnessed and, and is being interpreted this way. And that's why, um, you know, I don't ask any individual citizen to suddenly become a counselor. And you have more experience than most in the field, and so you, you, you know a lot of what you're talking about. We, we have people out here who've never even heard some of this terminology, but who have a gut reaction, and that gut is so powerful. And, and to call 1-800-FOR-A-CHILD, uh, speak to a child help national child abuse um, hotline counselor, that person has a degree, they are professional, these are not volunteers, and they have a database of resources in your area, and they can tell you exactly who to contact and how to report it, because that's essential. If a child discloses, they'll tell you the methodology to use so that you don't compromise the case, so that you ensure that that child has maximum advocacy and ways that then you can follow up. And so we yeah. don't ask and you I found, to become the expert. Yeah, and I found your website, I don't remember which section, but it had a section for what you can do if you're a bystander if a child comes to you and there were four questions to ask. None of them were Absolutely. about details of any situation. Um, so right. that, I found that very helpful. Um, no, it's again, super helpful. We have it all on the website, and if anybody wants to help out, if, if, you, if you heard what Storm talked about and we talked about today and you're angry and you want to do something, uh, go to our website and say, you know, I want to bring Child Help Speak Up Be Safe to my kid's school. That's the one thing I'm going to do today to honor young women like Storm and to honor the ones that haven't been found yet, and I'm going to help somebody in my child's school speak up and be safe. That's the most powerful thing you can do because not only do you have that dialogue with your own child, but you save all the other kids that are sitting, you know, two rows away from your child in that classroom. Absolutely. And remember, if your child's school has 600 students, according Mm -hmm. to the U.S. Department of Education, 40 of those students are having sexual contact with an employee of the school. 40 of them. Um, And you just, I, I mean, that's staggering. Ladies, we're running out of time, um, which I am very disappointed. I, I, we could keep going on this for such a long time, and there are so many angles. Um, I, I do appreciate, Storm, thank you for being uh, here with us and sharing some of your personal story. Uh, Daphne, your expertise is outstanding. I just got to sit back and listen for most of the interview, so <laughs> thank you for that. One of the things that oh, I try to you. do is to uh, end a show with a quote about our topic for that day, and my my quote today is from um, David Pelzer, and he wrote a book called A Child Called It, which was out a few years ago. Childhood should be carefree. 
Yes. Childhood should be carefree, playing in the sun, not living a nightmare in the darkness of the soul. I think that sums it up. Um, if you need information, go to childhelp.org. And uh, they have a hotline number. They have all sorts of information. Join us next week. Um, we're still up in the air a little bit about who our guest is going to be next week, but I think it is going to be a woman speaking out about betrayal. Um, when we're talking today about this sexual assault, there's a component of betrayal because the people who are supposed to care about you are her. Thank you for joining us on Three Women, Three Ways. Daphne Storm, thank you. And maybe we should take this issue up again another time. Meanwhile, We'd Stephen love Collins, to. go get some help. Thank you for joining us on Three Women, Three Ways. Thank you. Have a great day. Goodbye. Bye-bye. <laughs>